war is all around us. Every day, the news reports on the war in Ukraine, the threat of war with China. We're taught about past wars between nations and empires. Much of who I am today was shaped by my experience fighting for our country in Afghanistan. But there is another war raging. It's a spiritual war that few would deny. We see it some through tragedies in the news and in the cultural war in America today, but it's a war that has been raging for all of our history. It's the fight between good and evil. And it's a war that every one of us are caught up in. When I was in combat, we had the best gear in the world. Our weapons were state-of-the-art and effective at fighting the enemy. We had cutting-edge protection, our helmets, our body armor, fireproof gloves and uniforms. The sum of everything we wore gave us damn near superhuman strength as we fought a ruthless enemy hell-bent on destroying us. And that protection did its job. Six of my men were shot in the head but were able to stay in their fight and survive because they were wearing their helmets. Men suffered burns, but their flame-retardant gloves saved their hands. Body armor stopped shrapnel that would have otherwise torn through bodies. I was blown up, and I wouldn't be here today if I wasn't equipped with all of the protection our military gives its warfighters. It made us more effective in combat. And many of us would not have returned home without it. But this, this is a spiritual war in America and in all around the world. It's not a physical war. It isn't fought on distant battlefields. It isn't waged with conventional weapons. To be effective in this fight, we need a different kind of armor. The book of Ephesians talks about the armor of God, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the boots of readiness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and to take the fight to the enemy, the sword of the spirit. This is what we need to arm ourselves with for this spiritual war. My guest today is an incredible human being and someone who spent his entire life on the front lines of this spiritual war. Sean Foyt is a, is a worship leader and the founder of multiple faith-based movements to take back our country. When the government told him to shut his church down during COVID, but the government also said it was okay for strip clubs to stay, to stay open. Sean Foyt said no, he kept his church open. He allowed his people to worship. He's traveled the world as a missionary. He's led revivals here at home. He ran for Congress and was able to pray over President Trump in the Oval Office. And he's rallying believers to take back our country and the world from the evil that seeks to destroy it. He is an amazing person. And our conversation was really incredible. Enjoy. Sean, thanks so much for joining Battleground. I- I'm so excited to have you. Um, 
you know, one of the reasons not to just jump right into it, but like, first of all, you spell your name the right way, just like me, S E A N, which, which I like. Yeah. So we're brothers in that regard, but man, you were doing some amazing stuff in the world. You know, you're a faith leader, you're a worship leader, you're an evangelist, you're a musician, you're an activist. And, you know, I, I'm Catholic, right? Um, I'm a believer. I'm, I'm spiritual. Um, and one of the things, Sean, that that as someone who, who loves this country, I do see that there is a spiritual war happening in, in America right yeah. now. And, and I feel like, Sean, I feel like so many people aren't aware of that fight and they're not tuned in. And it upsets me sometimes when I see priests in my faith, in the Catholic faith, not standing up and doing something about it or saying something about it or speaking yeah. to it. But what I admire about you is that you you don't worry about that. You build a movement and you're not afraid to push back against this the radicalism of, of the woke left. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think for me, what, what's been enormously helpful in my journey is the amount of time that I spelt, spent with the persecuted and underground church across the world. And so because my parents were, uh, were, were full-time missionaries and I grew up uh, going to a lot of places where it's, it's, it's illegal to preach the gospel, you can get thrown in prison, you can, you know, uh, believers are put to death. And I spent a ton of time in the Middle East, a ton of time in Southeast Asia, and I've been in those communities and and I've been with those leaders. I, I've begun to realize the importance of of resistance and the importance of pushing back, and you know the even the theological precedent that the Book of Acts sets for us. And you know, basically, the, the whole the whole book of Acts is basically the, the 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 disciples getting in trouble, getting thrown in prison, getting freed, and the church grows. And you know, the gospel always confronts the powers of the culture, always. And so, I think you know now what, what what's wild about that is I haven't really been able to to put that what I learned into practice in the West or in America until COVID happened. And that was the first time, at least in my lifetime, where the the government actually came down on the church trying to tell the church when and how they could worship God. And that's when something flicked off of me. And, you know, that was the start of, and then of course now we're in, you know, a battle for free speech and we're in a battle for, you know, uh, with, with the, with the tr transgender agenda and the, the sexualization of our kids and what can be taught and all that stuff. So, but for me, you know, COVID in many ways was the, was the switch that kind of turned me on to that battle being real in our nation. Well, Sean, I, I've seen just the, you know, having been in Afghanistan, I spent some time in South Korea mm -hmm. and I've seen other places in the world. Yeah. And I've seen what people have to risk in order to practice their faith. And yeah. And as you mentioned very eloquently that some people risk their lives to practice their faith. And I feel like maybe we mm -hmm. do you think that Americans in some way take that freedom for granted, freedom to worship? And mm -hmm. do you think that people take that for granted? I mean, I think that, you know, it, it, people haven't ever had that pushback. They ever haven't had that mm -hmm. resistance. And so because 
because they haven't had that, they don't, they haven't developed those muscles, you know, to, to know that, Hey, listen, like, you know, that, that what, what switched me on in the, in the COVID era was, Hey, these guys don't care about your health. They don't care about your safety. They don't care about science. They actually are purposely wanting the church to shut up. How do we know that? Well, because strip clubs and casinos are open, you know, they're doing BLM rallies that are massive outdoor <laughs> in the streets, but yet they're attacking a, a worship and prayer event. That's peaceful. That wants to bring hope and healing. Like, that's what they're attacking rather, you know, and it, and it really, the amazing thing about it, Sean, was it uncovered the, the enormous bias and the hypocrisy that was taking place. And it was like, no, 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 all along, all you wanted to do was shut the church up. This just gave you an excuse. And I think that that's the kind of thing that we really haven't seen out in the open. I mean, now you're starting to see just the, the, the outright animosity towards the church, towards people of faith, you're seeing, you know, you're seeing uh, 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 pro-life pregnancy centers firebombed. You're seeing churches attacked. We had a church attacked uh, on New Year's Eve in San Diego, you know, Antifa attacked the church that we were worshiping. I mean, they attacked a church in America, busted windows out, sprayed graffiti and obscenities all over the church property. Did the mayor say anything? No. Did the governor say anything? Of course not. Uh, Did anyone do anything? No. Um, you know, you're seeing outright animosity. It's not just, there, there's no more toleration. It's, you know, you saw it with the Grammys, a full-blown Satan sexual yes. orgy happening at the Grammys a few nights ago. I mean, it, it, we're in a spiritual battle. I mean, there is no more, I don't know, you know, is it conspiracy? No, no, no. It's right out in front of us. It's right. It's it's right out in front of us. And I, w- I was just thinking as you were talking about the, the Grammys and I and I shared a clip of that. And I said, you know, he- like hell brought to you by Pfizer. I mean, they literally went through this right. sa- satanic ritual in front of, right. you know, the dwindling viewership of the Grammys. I think Grammys, I think nine million people watched that. But, you know. People said to me, like, well, why are you sharing this? Like all your this is what they want. They want people to watch this. And and I and I, by the way, I understand that perspective. But we have to, I think, in many ways, when we're confronted with things like that is, you Mm -hmm. know, put on the armor of God and face it down, because even though I don't believe that stuff, it's not going to affect me and my faith. But maybe my kids or other people's kids are watching yeah. it and being influenced by those people. Right. And, and we have to stand up to it. We have to offer yeah. our children and, and the American people, I think another path forward. And I mean, yeah. I've had like, I, I, I watched the segment uh, of the church out in San Diego being vandalized by Antifa. That's something else yeah. that, that we have in common. Antifa, when I was running for Congress, came to my house, spray painted my house, vandalized my house place where my children sleep, Sean. And, the left, the the left or the radicals or the or the revolutionaries, whatever you want to call them in this country, it seems and feels like they're always on the move. They're always yeah. active. And what I admire about what you're doing is that whether you're whether you're in Korea, Iraq, Afghanistan doing missionary work or you're here at home, you you are you are doing things, right? You are building a movement. And I think in doing so, you're showing the American people another way, Sean, because mm. people in today's day and age, you know, maybe they're not wired into politics 24 hours a day, seven days a week, like, like I am. But I do, I do think people are, just have a general sense that something is not right. 
and they're desperately looking for leadership. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we're, we're definitely in a, we're in a leadership vacuum right now. I think, uh, politically, um, I think in the faith space, um, I think, you know, people are floundering a little bit. They're looking for guidance. They're looking for truth. I think that is why it's important that we speak out. Um, I was having this conversation with some, some really well-known artists and musicians and, and people about the Grammy situation. I said, listen, we have a platform of people that follow us. We, you know, we in, in, influence people. They look to us like it's our job as people of faith to make it very clear that this is a demonic, uh, this is a demonic ideology that wants to pervert and sexualize and destroy our family. Like the, the, the enemy is not even like, it's so brazen now. It's not even like trying to hide it or sneak it. It's just out in the open and you have CBS, uh, their main Twitter feed saying we're ready to worship to, yeah. to, to a, a full blown satanic orgy. I mean, you have literally, it's like the corporate media, big pharma, you know, government officials, uh, in bed with this demonic ideology. And the, it has one goal to seek, to destroy, to devour, to steal, you know, I mean, that the, the Bible's very clear. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you can have life and life more abundantly. And I think that we're seeing those three things, those three agendas of the enemy really play out. And so it's very important that although it may seem, uh, it may seem controversial or it may seem overreactionary or whatever, like I have four kids. They're growing up in this culture. They're going to face things in their lifetime that I never even dreamed of in the 90s, you know? Hmm. And, and, and they have to, they have to be prepared. They have to be ready. They have to be alert. You know, the devil <clears throat> seeks around like a roaring lion to, discovering who he can devour. You know, that is, that is what the enemy is doing right now. And so, yeah, it is important. It is important to push back. It is important to put on the armor of God, to be alert. I mean, God is still moving. He's still doing incredible things, but darkness is increasing as well. People ask me a lot, well, Sean is, as as we approach these last days, is is the darkness going to get darker? Is the light going to get lighter? And I always tell people both. They're going to rise mm -hmm. together, and we're going to see the darkest of the dark and the lightest of the light. So um, it's going to be wild days ahead of us for sure. Sean, take take me back to the beginning. You know, and, and how you know I feel like people like you either have an upbringing where they're raised in the faith and they're always on mm -hmm. the straight and narrow, or maybe they strayed from the path at some point earlier in their life and then something brought them back to it and they were inspired to get to sort of jump back into their faith. Like, which one were you? Or were you somewhere in the middle? Yeah. So I, I grew up, you know, as I mentioned before, my parents were full-time medical missionaries and I grew up actually in Montana it's a, which is why it's really funny that I'm in California right now because <laughs> the, the, the commonality, the commonality of Montanans is they, they hate Californians. <laughs> so, um, but God has a sense of humor. Um, uh, but yeah, I was, I was in Montana and then I moved, you know, we moved to the East coast. My parents were working and, and pioneering this massive missions organization. And, you know, I, I think I just grew up like every other kid being drugged to church and kind of in that whole, 
thing, you know, and, and going through the motions. And then I really had an encounter with, with God and that took place when I was in high school. And, um, you know, I, I was definitely a driven kid. I was a high school quarterback. We won the state championship. I was involved. I was doing music, other things, but yeah, that encounter with God really changed me. And, uh, my first ever mission trip by myself that I went on, I went on some with my, with my parents when I was younger, but then I went on one, uh, in Oh two to Afghanistan in the, in the Taliban kind of in the post nine 11 era. And that was something that really wrecked me just seeing what's happening over there, but also seeing God moving in the midst of that, the war, the craziness. And yeah, I mean, I think probably my biggest struggle from then pioneering ministry in various areas of my life has always been, you know, through the, the drama of the church stuff and seeing the, the rise and fall of movements and being a part of different denominations or, or, or music groups or whatever. It's just like kind of keeping my heart pure before the Lord as you walk through those seasons. Because a lot of times, you know, you, you see people and, and you think they're awesome and you, you admire them and then you get up closer and you realize they got issues and they're not, they're not all together. And then some, sometimes the same type of people, you know, desert you and ghost you. And for me, COVID was a real intense season in our lives because uh, it really was like a polarizing force. Um, a lot of people that we love disavowed us and, 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 and kind of bailed on us. And then a lot of people that we didn't know became our new friends, you know? So I feel like even that, I mean, high school was one amazing thing, but I think even in COVID, it was like a total rearranging of our world. You know, I think we've come up on a way better side of it, but it was definitely challenging in the midst of it. Well, you talk about an experience with God. I feel like I've had one as well. I don't talk about it very often because I feel like people will like ridicule me or say it didn't happen or say that I'm crazy. Yeah. But um, I was in I was in Afghanistan and I was there for 16 months and we were in eastern Afghanistan. And, and, and like you, I mean, that experience, I mean, the experience of war, you know, it affects you in a lot of different ways. Yeah. It wasn't even necessarily... It wasn't even necessarily fighting the enemy, which is sort of what we were right. trained to do or fi fighting right. against that evil. And I truly believe the enemy that we were facing there is evil. But it was just right. the people of Afghanistan who were caught in the middle, who just wanted to right. live their lives. Um, right. But I, I, you know, I, I was wounded in Afghanistan. We were being overrun. I was knocked unconscious. And I'm telling you. I wrote about this in my first book a little bit, but I'm telling you, like, I, it's like in that moment when I was out, didn't know really whether I was going to live or die. Like, I felt God there. I felt him. Wow. And he was there. And someone was telling me to wake up. And, and prior to me, prior to me going to Afghanistan, my grandfather, like literally the day I went to Afghanistan, he passed away. He was like a second father figure to me. And I could have sworn I heard him. I could have sw sworn I saw him. And... You know, I don't talk about that. And since that day, you know, I kind of think back on that and I say, well, that's just your brain playing tricks on you. You know, mm. your brain was deprived of oxygen. So clearly you're just hallucinating. But there was something about that experience that stuck with yeah. me. And yeah. what does it say about the world that that we live in today, Sean, where I almost rationalize myself away from 
that experience that it that it maybe didn't happen or i'm just i'm just conjuring it up yeah i mean i i, I always tell people hey listen either way you got to have faith if if you have faith that you're some cosmic energy that exploded out of nowhere that's that's a lot of faith i don't i don't think i got that much faith you know yeah. um but but and 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 then you got to have faith to to carry on to these genuine moments where you felt god or you felt his nearness or you felt i mean i've had those similar to what you're saying i mean i've had a i had an ak47 to my skull grinding my head into the ground in kampala uganda and the end of a, tri a mission trip that I did is these these Zulu thugs were robbing me, taking all of our stuff. Oh my god! Normally they kill. Normally they kill. They kill people so they're not identified because if they're identified as thieves, a lot of times they're burned alive. It's crazy. Um, and in that moment, I felt God too. And I think that like that's what people don't realize is he he's an you know Bible says he's an ever present help in time of need. And I think that a lot of times, even when our hearts aren't turned to him or, or maybe even we're not aware of him, you know, he rushes in in moments like that and it's undeniable. And, um, and, and he doesn't do it because we're the best people. He doesn't do it because we're sinless. He, he, he does it because he loves us, you know? And so those are the moments I think that you carry with you um, so that, you know, Hey, I was at my darkest or I was at a moment where I was knocked out or what, you know, your situation. And I know that God was there. I know that he's with me. You know, that is, it takes faith to believe that too. And, um, you know, everybody, this world wants to, they want to live in perpetual independence, you know, so that they don't have, they, they that nobody helped them. They don't have any God that's with them and they're not accountable to anyone, but in the, in their heart of hearts, they know that at the end of the day that they are accountable to someone. And I think that that's, so you, that's where, that's where anyway. Yeah. Keep going. No, I was just going to ask you, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I was just going to ask no. you, do you, do you, or have you ever wavered in your faith at all? Because, you know, I know I have from time to time and yeah. And not, not that, not that I don't believe, I always believe, but I always, sometimes I find myself yeah. thinking, you know, God, things just suck so bad right now, or there's yeah. so much pain and suffering in this world. And it sometimes it seems like it's hopeless. And like you said it yourself, like as someone who sees this, I think this spiritual fight, I see it. But when you have the deck stacked against you, like when you're talking about big corporation, big tech, yeah. big pharma, big media, our schools now seem to be right. inf infiltrated. Right. Yeah. What What do you – how do you keep strong in your faith during those moments? Yeah, I mean, I I, I, I pity the, the people that don't have – God, you know, I feel really bad for them because it, it the world is getting crazy. And it's like, man, if you don't have that firm foundation, if you haven't built your house on the rock, as the storms come, you're just going to get swept away. And I've seen so many people do that, you know, out of discouragement and disillusion. And I mean, you talk about things that we've seen with Let Us Worship across America, you know, the, the suicide, mm -hmm. drugs, uh, alcoholism, depression. I mean, it's just rampant across America and it's all ramped up by this media machine and, and, um, you know, by, by this polarization of culture. And, and of course the lockdowns didn't help that. It just exacerbated the situation. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I feel like, I think we all go through struggles where we feel like the deck's decked up against us. And, and, and that's when we need God the most. And I think that's when our faith really matters. You know, that's when it comes to, to sh- that's when it, that's when it's like the rubber meets the road and it's like, do we really believe, you know, those are those moments. And for people out there that, you know, I think it's an, an incredible opportunity. You wouldn't believe the amount of, of people, Sean, as we went city to city, um, hosting these, these worship prayer and healing things. And we went, we didn't just go to like red states. I mean, we went to blue, we went into Seattle, we went into LA, we went to Chicago, <laughs> we went into New York. Um, we got attacked, we got fined, we got persecuted. But the amount of people in those places that are just like looking for hope was outrageous. I mean, their cities are destroyed. They're being totally run down. Their mayors and their, their, their governors and their city officials are just out of their minds. And there's really <laughs> good people there and they're looking for hope. And so when we showed up, I mean, the amount of people that came down to the altar or wanted prayer or wanted to get baptized or wanted to get plugged into a local church congregation. I mean, it was just, it was wild. And, and, and it was very hopeful to me because I felt like, man, am I the only one that's like this, our nation's jacked up right now. Like we need God, we need help. But I wasn't the only one. People felt that all across America. And so it, it did in, give me a lot of hope. Well, in those moments, Sean, like how, how you talk about in those moments that you're feeling hopeless, like for the people that are watching, how, how do you find God in those moments? How do you stay strong in your faith? Could- yeah. I, I mean, for me, I think it comes down to a, like a personal relationship. It's like, it's like, um, you know, I encourage people a lot, even people that are not uh, either religious, they wouldn't call themselves religious, which I don't actually call myself religious. I, I, I have a relationship with God and, and it's not a form to me. But like when you read through the book of Psalms, you see David consistently vocalizing his honesty, no matter what season he's in. So he's, you know, God, they're after me. God, I don't know what to do. Help me. You know, he's a little bit more dramatic. Obviously he's like, they're going to come and tear my skin off my bones and wild animals are devouring me, you know, but, but I think it's important for people, no, no matter the season they're in to like vocalize to God, like he wants to hear you. He wants to hear your heart. And I think there's even a connection that comes in a vulnerability that comes in those moments. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's my encouragement. And I think the other thing is like, you know, this is a great season in 2023, you know, to kick off the new year, to, to get rid of the people, the naysayers around you, get rid of those people Mm -hmm. that are cynics and skeptics and constantly pull you down and find some people that believe in something. I mean, give me a break. Like, find some people that like know what they're doing in life, know who God is, and know where they're going. There's a lot of great people out there, and you know that's my encouragement. Uh, try to go to church. That's always helpful. You know, yeah. there's you know, yeah, there are some fakes there, but there's some real people. You know, uh, going after God in the midst of of their life. I I I, th- I think it's such good it's such good advice, Sean. I think, you know, I, I feel like I've always struggled with, with, with not my faith. That's not the right way to say it. 
It's I'm not I'm not struggling with my faith, but I always wrestle with it. And you know, for me, when I was I was growing up, um, I was in public school. I really wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah. Like, it wasn't resonate. It wasn't resonating with me. Um, and then I ended up going to Catholic school my junior and senior year of high school, and then I went to Catholic college. But there was something that happened when I braided my faith with my education that really made a huge difference in my life, Sean. And it seems like you had a a similar experience in that yeah. you're you're a faith leader, but you also at some point you know ran for Congress in in 2020, right? Yeah. So at some yeah. point you you're, you braided your faith and your desire to serve yeah. in the faith with serving your country in in Washington. Mm-hmm. Where yeah. where did that inspiration come from? Yeah, I mean that's that's a great question. I I you know I, I think that when I when I was in high school and I had that encounter with God and I I told the Lord I said I'll go anywhere I'll do anything and I I was more thinking you know I'll go to China I'll go to Indonesia I'll go to these nations and I'll I'll be your voice and your hands and feet and whatever and I did do that. Um, but then there came a season where I felt like God was calling me to politics and, and, and he reminded me, Hey, remember when you gave me your yes, you didn't say, I will only just go to these nations. Like, and, and I began to see how dark and gnarly the political realm was. And so I just pictured myself as a missionary of sorts. I'm like, all right, well, there's, it's dark, it's difficult, it's hard. You know, we've seen this in other nations before and I raised my hand and to be honest, at the time I felt like I kind of got tricked into it because I had no idea how difficult it was going to be. I mean, dude, I ran for a, I ran for a seat in the Bay area in Pelosi's backyard. I, I like, it was not, I thought it was going to be more like purple. It was definitely blue. It was not purple. Um, and, uh, and I got excited exposed to so much like i saw stuff i peeked behind the curtain in the political realm i saw things i can't unsee Uh. and (laughs) and 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 what was interesting about it was is it wasn't just like on a local level of course at local level politics in california and the and the gop and republicans and by the way that they the republicans were the ones that actually took me out um, it wasn't, it wasn't the <laughs> oh. Dems, uh, surprise, surprise. Um, but, but, you know, I found myself in the Oval Office, uh, like a month after I announced two months after I announced, I found myself in the Oval Office praying over president Trump and God opened these doors into crazy places that I never thought that I would go. And I started to realize man, like I can't disassociate my faith and my calling to be uh, the hands and feet of Jesus. I can't separate that from the political realm. This has to go with me in all areas of my life. And then I started to realize this is why we're in the place that we're in in America, because too many believers, too many good people separated their faith from their politics. And it's like, no, 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 we can't actually do that. Like, we have to bring our faith into all areas of our life. And this is what people hate. This is why they call me a Christian nationalist. This is why they call, you know, I mean, whatever. They go on and on and on with their things because they don't want your faith. They don't want the light. They don't want God in that realm. 
there is a strong uh, agenda to shut God out. We've seen it with prayer in schools. We've seen it with, um, you know, I mean, even even during the Pelosi era, I mean, you couldn't even go in the Capitol and pray and worship. Thank God, a week ago, I was in the Capitol Rotunda playing my guitar, worshiping, because the regime has changed. <laughs> but uh, but that but you know that that that's what really motivated me. It's like, hey, listen, I I can't be a person that cuts out my faith on this area of my life, or like it has to permeate, and it has to guide me through everything. And so, anyway, that was my journey. It was, I think I was a bit optimistic, obviously, and uh, I didn't realize how crazy that, that path was going to be, but it, it is crazy. It is. It's insane. And once you see behind the curtain and how sort of the sausage is made, Sean, you can't unsee it. Right. And I ran for the house. I ran for the Senate. Uh, during my Senate campaign, it was Republicans who took me out too, by the way. So that, right, that, right. that your experience resonates with my own in that way. And I think both parties, like I, here's the deal for me, Sean, I don't really care about political parties. Like I'm a constitutional conservative. I love this country. The people for me right. come first period, end of story. Um, and, and like you, when you, when, when you're going to these, you said you're going to blue states, going to red states, going to blue areas, going to red areas. That was that was how we campaigned. I don't really, I went yeah. there. I went and tried to build bridges with everybody because that's the job right. description, right? And and I feel like that was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. But it was the most dirty, right? Corrupt, right? right. Terrible, like and so like the, the people and the campaigning and and just. Getting a chance to be there and lead among the people was the privilege of a lifetime. But all right. the other stuff, all the other stuff, it makes right. me wonder, like, what kind of personality on both sides of the aisle is attracted to those types of positions? Just the clinging to and keeping of power at all costs, mm-hmm. even if that means destroying the life of someone else, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, but just I got to ask you. How did you end up in the Oval Office with Trump praying with President Trump? Because I've met him, too. I think he's... um. I don't think the media gives him a fair shake at all. Um, yeah. My meetings with him, I found him to be a good man who cared deeply for this country. Doesn't always say the right thing, you know, <laughs> but right. but who does, yeah. right? Who does? Right. Um, I, you got to tell me about that. Yeah, it was basically a gathering of faith leaders, uh, younger faith leaders from across America. And um, I got an invitation and... I was actually running at the time. And so, um, yeah, it was just a wild experience. I mean, there's about 50 of us. <laughs> um, I think the, the picture, the pictures definitely circulated the internet because, um, I'm kind of standing next to him with my hand on him. Cause I thought in the picture we were praying over him and we weren't, so I'm the only one that's like <laughs> extending my hand towards him. But, uh, we, you know, we, we, we basically went through and, and talked to all of his officials and his, in the government and we talked to Ivanka and, and Mike Pence and Sam Brownback and, and all these different guys about how they were incorporating faith into, you know, their policy decisions and stuff. And then kind of the end of it was going to meet, you know, Trump and he just, you know, he's so unorthodox. He just had us all come into the <laughs> Oval Office, all 50 of us. And he just said, all right, you guys are going to pray over me. And then he sat at his, at, at his desk and we laid hands and we prayed and I mean, we did it pray weak prayers. You know, we prayed real 
bold prayers. And, um, you know, what, whether or not people agree with him or, or they think his faith, his, his faith is real or not or whatever, I just love a person that says, I need prayer. You know, there's something about a, the most powerful man in the world with the biggest platform in the world saying, hey, guys, I need prayer. And he wasn't doing it for a photo op. We didn't have our phones and cameras out. I mean, this was like no one recorded the prayer. It was just a powerful moment. And he literally just said, I need prayer. And and we prayed over him. And it was it was powerful. And, you know, I, I tell anybody, if, if, if a president invites you in, I don't care which side of the aisle he's on, and he says, would you pray for me? I'm there. I'm there the next day, you know. However, that story that I just told you right now, I've never heard of that story in any other president in American history. So I think it was wow. a pretty cool moment. Do you ever think that, you know, that, that kid from Montana, then California and, you know, doing missionary stuff all over the world, find yourself in the Oval Office someday praying over the president of the United States? You know, I would have never thought that in a million years. I think, uh, <laughs> I think God is funny. And I think that it, it was like, I don't know, that, that was that, that door kind of opened right after I made my announcement that I was a long haired worship leader that was going to run for Congress. And I just kind of <laughs> felt like, all right, God, maybe, maybe if it was just for this moment, you know, maybe if you had me, you know, answer yes to do this, maybe it was just for, a, a thing like this, then it was worth it. You know, I don't know, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it was like, it was really cool. It was a really cool experience. And I, and I don't think, you know, I've been with them several times since then. And, um, and of course we've gotten to do that similar thing with governors and leaders of other nations. So I don't think that that door's closed. I, I have a sense that, we're going to be we're going to be seeing a shift in the coming days and i think that th that that kind of thing is going to be more common we need that in america we need people to we pray do. for the president that's for sure we do we do and and i think you know you, you know you, you, did you see did you happen to see that that um cartoon that disney cartoon that i mean disney i i i say this as somebody who grew up watching disney films um Boy, I feel like Disney has lost their way, and I mean they're overtly oh, sexualizing man. our children. I, oh I, yes, one hundred percent. I, and and I say this to somebody who who's my my own children uh, love Disney, um, right? But Sean, I feel like I'm past the point where I can support a company like that, where there's a clear yeah. agenda of sexualizing yeah. our children, and and I'm telling you, it's not okay, and. You know, some of the videos that I watched doing research and prep for this segment were, were you taking you're actually out there taking on that fight. And man, God, I think that's great. How has that been for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I, you know, I don't think I woke up one day and was like, we need to attack Disney. Um, I think that, <laughs> you know, I think that because I, I grew up on them just like you. But I think that, you know, hey, listen, you can mess with me. You can attack me. You can slander me. You can say all kinds of stuff about me, which, you know, the media has done for years. Um, but man, you start messing with my kids 
it's it's a different ball game. Like, I mean, you're gonna see you're gonna see you're gonna see a warrior rise up because that's the primary role of parents, you know, is to protect and raise their kids. So um, when Disney was mocking, mockingly advertising and and that whole leaked video behind the scenes of their producers saying that they are in, in, intentionally trying to indoctrinate kids and groom kids, I was like, okay, it is on. And um, and that was something for me that it's like that that's an area you don't you don't play with. And I think that they overestimated or underestimated how parents would react. As we as we started to host host those those protests, first we did it in Burbank, Disney headquarters, then we did it in Disneyland, California, then we did Disney World in Florida. Um, the primary people that gathered with us were Hispanic moms. And they came out of wow. force. I mean, it was it was wild. And they were not having this, you know. And so just like we saw in Virginia, what flipped the tide in that state is, uh, you know, was was the parents. And I think that you're going to start seeing that even more as as the intensity and the, and the perversion of our education system continues. You're going to see parents rise up a lot more. And I think that's a good thing. God, I I think it's a great thing. And, and you, you know, you talk about COVID being a major trigger point in your life. And I, I think that was the case for a lot of people, specifically with regards to the education of their children, you know, having, you know, kids at home, right. Doing virtual learning for the first time ever, basically, you know, parent right. working at the table on their laptop, kid doing virtual schooling, maybe in another room or maybe at the table, parent listening to some of the things that the teacher are saying and thinking like, is it really, is this what they're teaching uh, my kid in school? So I think COVID really created this part, at least in part, this movement uh, of parents being more right. interested in the direction right. of their children's education. And, but what sort of blows my mind, Sean, is that we're now at a point where the modern day left is, is advocating for and saying basically to parents, I'm going to have men dress up in women's underwear and come and dance in right. your school to teach them about, you know, LGBTQ drag queen story hour, whatever. How has our culture gotten to this point? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 insane. I mean, it, it, the level <laughs> of, you know, again, again, talking to somebody that the group in the, in the nineties. And, you know, I didn't even know what transgender nothing was, you know, it's just like, and, and <laughs> we, here we have, we have the, and I think, you know, going back to um, Hillary, why we really dodged a bullet in uh, 2016 was because Hillary, what are her agendas and goals was to have the state control the entirety of education. You know, and she wanted the state to be the parents and not the parents. And I think that that, you know, going back to the the you know, the the ideologies and the demonic forces, not the boogeyman, like the real one, I think that they know that the next generation is key. If they can get the next generation, if they can get them confused and if they can get them uh you know, dependent on the state and dependent on, on the government. And, and then, you know, 
that then they got the nation. And I think that, um, you know, we're seeing that not, I think a lot of it started with, with prayer being taken out of school. I think that that was a huge thing actually. Um, and then in its place, we've seen not no longer the dependency on God, but it's the dependency on, 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 on the state and it's dependency on the teachers. And, um, yeah, we've come to a really sick place. I mean, we're in California. Thank God. It's a very easy, it's a very easy state surprisingly to homeschool. So we mm-hmm. do that with our kids here and it's very, you know, very popular thing, obviously in Southern California is to, is to homeschool our kids. Um, and so we've taken back control of, of that. And a lot of that started in COVID where it was like, you know what, I'm not going to let you guys, uh, everything was canceled and it's just like one disappointment after another in school. And I'm like, I'm not going to let you guys set the tone for how my kids are going to live life. We're going to do it ourselves. Oh, so we raised our hand to do it. And, you know, it, it, you know, anyway, there's some encouragement for you parents out there. Like, you know, there's a lot of grace to do that. And, uh, we never wanted to be the homeschool parents, but (laughs) look at us now. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) who would have ever thought, you know, but you're right. You know, it does seem like there is a deliberate attempt from the state or from force forces in this country, um, to separate children from their parents you know, separate children right. from their faith and control the things that they're fed in school, hoping that parents don't pay attention to right. it. And in doing so, they become more reliant on the state, more reliant on state propaganda. Ultimately, right. you know, if they get their way, the next generation is easier to control. And right. that's that's why, Sean, what you're doing is so important. And I, I think... So, okay. So you got to tell me, you know, what's next for you? You know, how, how first yeah. of all, how can I get involved? How can other people get involved? Yeah. So we're, we're actually, um, we're actually starting a, a crazy initiative called the kingdom to the capital where we're take, we're going to all 50 U S capitals in America. And we're, we're hosting the lettuce worship event, worship prayer. Uh, we're bringing the churches together from across the region. We're taking a stand for uh, specific bills, um, pro-life bills, uh, uh, pro, uh, you know, parent uh, control in the, in the education process. Um, and yeah, it's going to be awesome. We're, we're starting, we're doing 27 capitals in 2023 and 23 capitals, I think in 24. So by the time of the elections in, in November 24, the presidential election will have gone to every capital in America. And uh, we're starting in March, uh, and we kind of kick off this tour. It's very ambitious. Uh, It's very expensive. (laughs) It's uh, very (laughs) overregulated. We're getting permits at every single U.S. capital, Um, and and yeah, it's gonna be gonna be a wild thing. We're we're partnering with Turning Point USA Faith and several other organizations to 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 pull this off. But yeah, it's gonna be amazing. And I don't think it's going to be anything that we've seen really in America, at least in my lifetime before, um, you know, thousands and thousands of people gathering at the, at the steps of every state capital. And so you can find out information if you go to kingdom to the capital.com that's capital with an O so kingdom to the capital.com. And you can find out all the dates. I think we've published our first nine tour stops. Um, I think it's, it's Baton Rouge, Jackson, Mississippi, 
um, uh, uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Um, and then we go to Little Rock, Arkansas, Nashville, Tennessee, Jefferson City, Missouri. And then, then we go to uh, Oklahoma City, Austin, Texas, and Kansas. So the first and uh, there'll be a lot more coming this year. Well, that's man, that is great. The forces of good are on the march, man. And and I am, uh, I'm, I'm a believer, man. I am. I love what you're doing. I love that you're involved. You know, when you talk about being a conservative, right? It's an active word. We have to conserve something. The the values, the principles, the faith, all of the things that make this country exceptional and great. You're you're actively out there fighting for. You're not just talking about it. You're doing and and I admire that, Sean. And you know, look, I I could talk to you all day, but thank you for the time and thank you for coming on the show. And you let me know if there's anything that I can do to help. I'm there, hundred percent. I will, man. I'll let you know. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, go to go to Kingdom to the Capital and sign up, everybody out there, so you can know when we're when we're coming to your neck of the woods. You heard the man, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, Sean, thank you, and we'll be in touch. All right, God bless. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is a wrap. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sean Foyt. If you like what you heard, go subscribe to our show on YouTube. Or now, I'm on Rumble. Subscribe to it there, too. Or just listen to it wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out Official Sean Parnell, our brand new website. Keep an eye out for the Battleground newsletter. All of our news will be right in there. We call it the Situation Report. It's great. It goes out weekly. And in the meantime, thank you for your help in saving this country. Thank you for joining this movement. And thank you so much for watching and listening to this podcast. Life is a battleground. It's our duty to never surrender. God bless you all. And God bless this incredible nation that we call home. Take care. Mm -hmm.